1: Hello, hello everyone. Welcome back to the Laravel podcast. This is episode 199. We are one episode away from Ooh. episode 200 Ooh. and we have got a big surprise planned for episode 200. Big big surprise. Can't wait to hear what it is. Yep. You're going to find out soon enough. As soon as I figure it out, you're going to know. You'll be the first one to know, Michael. That's I don't I'm not sure about you, you,
0: but that's not how plans work.
1: <laughs> that no, that is. That is how plans work. It's it's just you know you got to make it happen. You promise it, and then you deliver. Yeah, right. so I'm excited. Big surprise, folks! Big surprise. Episode 200 in two weeks. Don't want to miss it. Today is September 5th of 2023. Thanks so much for coming on and hanging out with us. We have got three different Laravel releases today to talk about, as well as Livewire. We've got four pieces of news. We got seven different packages and we've got four tutorials. It's gonna be a busy week, my friends. Busy, busy. So thanks for uh thanks for joining in. Um, Michael, anything real quick to talk about before we jump into the show?
0: No, nothing. At this stage. Tell me your emojis.
1: You've got a little squid emoji, you've got a little snowman, then you've got a CD, then you've got a plug. What is this? Where are you, know are you saying talking these emoji?
0: about? Where are you where are you talking about this? This
1: is on our on our conversation on our little video chat that we've got going on. It's got is a little really?
0: squid. I don't know what those are. Octopus. Where they come from? I think that's just a Telegram thing, isn't it? I just, what, maybe it is. Maybe it's
1: like a secret code to join the chat
0: or something. I don't Yeah, know. I, I just have. gave away
1: our secret passphrase or something. I don't know. We have people jumping into the video never.
0: Chat. I like. I think I've seen it before, but like, I'm pretty sure it's always there. I just don't know. Don't know what it is. Okay, I don't
1: know either. I have no idea. Hey, um. Well then, I don't think we have anything to talk about before we jump in, unless nothing. I interrupted you. No, no, nothing, nothing, nothing. Uh, All right.
0: nothing off the off the top of my head.
1: Okay, starting off with ten point twenty. Then here we go, jumping right in. This week, the Laravel team released ten point twenty. as of August twenty third, that was. Let me look real quick. Um, if you did not know, releases for Laravel uh, typically happen on Tuesdays, so this would have actually been on August twenty second. This would have been released. the Laravel team released 10.20 with a create or first method, benchmark, a single callable, a new response, JSON assertion, and more. So let's talk about Tony Messias contributing that create or first method, which attempts to create a new record. But if the unique constraint violation occurs, this method attempts to find the matching record instead. So you've got a couple of these different... um, type of, what do they call them, creator upserts or something like that. This isn't necessarily that. This is just a create or first. So in this instance, create it or find it. Right? Find or create? Is that kind of what I'm talking about here?
0: It's two different, there's two different there's methods. Is find or create a different thing? There's two different things, yeah. There's, there's find there's first create, or create. First or create. And there's create there's find or, or first. create
1: Is find maybe not just a first? Find is like just grab all of them, we'll find, find, first?
0: find takes everything that you find right. In, right. in that first array. And if there is a matching record, mm-hmm. it will then return it. If it doesn't mm-hmm. exist, it will then take whatever's in the second and then create the record for you. Um, Correct. This yes. create or first, there's there's a whole bunch of context provided by um, Tony Messias here who who put this pull request together. First, or create will actually use the create or first method under the hood instead of create, and this helps to fix race conditions. So, if you've got two things that mm-hmm. are inserting the same things, it's, it's around um, acid characteristics, acid, eh, acid characteristics, and you know compliance in that regard. You
1: know what? I've actually had this problem before. Mm-hmm. I've actually had race conditions exactly like this, where like I feel like I've had somebody maybe I, I was trying to debug it and figure out like. Why am I getting this weird condition here? And I think it's maybe somebody double-clicking on something. Mm-hmm. And I get this condition where I have somebody like, oh, you're trying to create a save payment method that already exists. It's like, how does it already exist? Like, how is that possible that that's already... I mean, it's the same. It's only being created right here. This is the only spot where it's being created. But I'm using first or create, I think. So create or first, does it separately? Does it differently? I Yeah, guess. so
0: this is, this is for tables that kind of rely on having a unique constraint. So... It first attempts to create the record, and if an exception comes mm-hmm. back from the database that you know the, there is a violation there on that ah, unique constraint, yes. it then attempts to find the matching record that oh, way. This is perfect. Yeah. So this way, uh-huh. any concurrent processes that rely on acid char- characteristics of the database never have to worry about that race condition, right? Because uh, this is perfect. Yeah. I needed
1: this. Yes, I have this. I have this exact scenario, and I've had this error.
0: Yeah. So the key thing is when you're doing this based on some unique constraint, like you can only have an email address, you know, in there one time or something like that, you know, where you would enforce yep. the uniqueness of some set of yeah. fields at the database yep. level, which is obviously going to be much better at handling that concurrency and all of that sort of stuff. So it will know that, that you know, it'll kind of handle all of that for you rather, and so that you'll get an exception back from the database. And then Laravel knows, okay, I got that concurrent, you know, that that exception now yes. I need to know that I can go and find that record and return that to you. Yes,
1: exactly. That's That makes more sense, right? Like let the database handle it. And when the exception gets returned, because it will, like yep. you have a duplicate primary key or you have a duplicate secondary key, whatever mm-hmm. it is, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah.
1: Unique key constraint failed. Uh, and so in this case, it just takes that exception and says, ah, okay, I'll just create this mm-hmm. uh, instead, or I'll just return it instead. Yeah. Great. Right? Yep. Wow. Nice. Thank you, Tony. You just solved a problem for me that I didn't even know how to solution like this. <laughs> Great. Good work. Okay. Secondly, we have using trashed relationships even without soft deletes. So Mi or Muhammad Zaki, some updates that support using with trashed, without trashed, or only trash on a morph relationship. So um, this would be useful in some third-party packages as this has become an issue where it's not possible to define the relationship as this morph to with trashed unless all the relationships use these soft deleted traits. Uh, And what I mean by this is in the case that you have a model that you want to include uh, values that have previously been deleted, but you don't necessarily know for sure that the model has that soft deletes trait uh, applied to it, that will fail. If you say with trashed or without trashed or only trashed, those methods will fail in the case that the model that you're trying to do that on doesn't have that trait. And so what this essentially does is it says, well, you know, even if it doesn't have that, don't worry about it. It's not an exception worthy thing to throw. Just allow them to say with trashed and it'll just return, you know, it'll just basically, I think, ignore the fact that it doesn't have the soft deletes trait and just say, well, if you deleted it, then you just deleted it. It doesn't, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to look at a timestamp. I'm just going to use the records that are in here instead. Mm -hmm. But as he states in the, in the, comment here this is really nice for third-party packages that are trying to do the with trash or without trashed against code that they don't necessarily own right they they don't want to have to tell you uh well you have to use soft deletes trait on all of these models you you can't know that for sure they don't want to enforce that so um this is a nice way to make sure that their packages don't start throwing weird exceptions in your in your application so Mm -hmm. yeah good job nice job okay tim mcdonald's uh, ah Mac tmac contributed a value method to the benchmark utility class which i did not know existed by the way did you know the benchmark utility class existed
0: i think i have seen it in passing but not actually used it or anything like that
1: that's interesting so the way that you the way that you can call this is you say benchmark double colon which okay aside here sorry everybody i say double colon and i'm fine with that but i thought it would be cool like you know how like um If you're if you're like on the command line and somebody says you can say exclamation point Mm -hmm. or you can say bang. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Should we come up with like what should be double colon? Dub C. What should (laughs) be double colon? There should be (laughs) there should be something a a a shortened phrase tip, you know, hope uh, like ideally one syllable for double
0: colon. What could that be? I don't think there is. Like, it's just the double colon. You could call it the we scope resolution operator. <laughs> yeah, hmm. <laughs> which is which is Cope what it is, right? Operator. It's the scope resolution operator, or um, I think it's Hebrew, the pameiim neku dotayim, which is you know you. Oh, let's you, just start calling it that. Yeah. Remember when? Yeah, it's obviously much shorter than double colon. Back in mm-hmm. early PHP mm-hmm. days, where you would get that thing, we would use like the double colon operator instead of the arrow syntax because you you know. And yes. It would tell you, right. no, no, this is not meant to be here. But there was no translation for that constant. It was, you know, a constant from the deep dark belly of PHP, and so you know, every now and okay. then you'd get that back—the undefined or unexpected t underscore pameim underscore neku dotam. Obviously, I don't speak um, Hebrew, so my tra- <laughs> pronunciation Are, there is here's, not here's so what good. I think
1: I think anybody, anybody who's listening to this show. We need a we need our own phrase, our own little single syllable word for double colon. So I can say benchmark dub C value, and people understand what I'm saying. Or benchmark bang value, right? Whatever that whatever that word's going to be, we need something that replaces double colon. It's three syllables. I want one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, with that aside here, Michael, I'm going to pass that to you. I think you should put do a poll or something on Twitter. Do a poll? You have more. You have more reach than I do. Okay. So here's here's how you can use benchmark. So benchmark double colon value. And then in this case, you can pass into closure. And what you can do is that benchmark value will return two variables to you. And so what uh, Tim's doing in his example here is he's sort of destructuring that array into two variables, response and duration. And then he's able to look at the values that are coming back from this benchmark. So it returns two things, you know, the first one being here's the actual response that comes back from this benchmark value that this closure that you're running. And then the second one is how long did it take to actually make that call? And so now uh, this value um, method allows you to just measure a particular callable in line and get the resulting value, which I'm guessing there's a lot more you can do with this benchmark utility. that I just did not know about it. So uh, I would assume that you could do all sorts of measuring uh, for as far as like duration and memory usage and things like that. So pretty cool. So thank you, TMAC. Okay. Allowing default values when merging data into an API resource. Choramy, Krunstavir. Oh, yeah. We've talked about them a a lot of times. Contributed the ability to pass a default value to merge when that will be used. And this cleans up the logic around merge when and merge unless when you want to provide defaults. So they have an example from the pull request showing how you do this before 1020 and then after, which is Mm -hmm. you can say... My resource extends JSON resource. So you have to be implementing that JSON resource. And then in your two array here, right, you have a two array method that you implement. And this says this merge when, and then it has a truthy statement that you pass as the first argument. And then you have the specific data that you have, and then you have like that you want to merge in. And then you have the generic data, which is the third argument. So it's, it's just a little bit cleaner because you could say merge when, uh, and then you could say merge unless. Right. Mm -hmm. So instead of having to do both of those two things, merge when this is true or merge unless this is true, uh, you can pass those in a single, you know, into a single method. Merge Mm -hmm. when truthy, specific, generic, right? So, you know, the true one, the false one. So, yeah, it just cleans it up a little bit. It's nice. Gunter de Brouwer contributed an assert JSON path canonicalizing method that you can use to check if a JSON response contains all the expected values, but not in a particular order. I've run into this, right? Where you have, I want to see that this is true. And it's like, yeah, it is true, but it's not always in the exact same order as what Mm -hmm. I passed it, which is super frustrating to have to do that. And you have to be like, nope, this is different. And you look at it, it's like, it's the exact same. All these keys are in the different order. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is a really nice nice new assertion for JSON stuff here. Thank you, Guter. I will be using this
0: one. Same situation as you. We have some tests that test its production data, but it's also kind of data that exists in our system where, this, where the application itself doesn't work unless it's there. And so we do run assertions against that to ensure the shape and the order of the data. But when we add new records, because it's sorted, returned in a sorted alphabetical list, they can come back obviously in different order depending on, you know, if you add another N, you you shift the bottom half of the list down and so the IDs get yep, out of sync. Yep. So being able to use this, the JSON path canonicalizing means we can just make sure that all the IDs are there and we don't necessarily care about the order of those things. So that'll be nice to, to do that. So thanks, Gunther. Very nice. Very good. All right, that's it for 10.20. Ooh, wonderful. dot Le- 10.21, Raul Maurizio Uñata Castro contributed a convert case string method, which is a wrapper around the MB, the multibyte convert case function. It performs case folding on a string while taking into account character encoding and multibyte characters. If you've ever had to do this, you know, taking care of letters that need to be translated to upper and lowercase based on, you know, maybe they've got a cedilla or they've got a, you know, a tail on it or whatever else. I forget what they're called, but, you know, the, you know, they've got the, the different accents and things like that yeah. on them. Mm-hmm. So taking into yep, account yep. all of that kind of stuff when handling uppercase, lowercase, et cetera. So thank you to Raul for that. Next up, Raphael, we've got all the great names this week. Raphael Kanguchu contributed a broadcast as method to the broadcast notification created event. If the notification instance on this event has a broadcast as method, it can be used to return the broadcast name. The function was added so that it will get the broadcast event name as as the same way it does for other events. Raphael says he needed this because he wanted to specify the event name and without the function, it will only get the class name. So the, the ability to use kind of like methods on classes is really good if you want to be able to provide some logic or some additional context around the resolution of what those values are. Obviously, with properties, you can't do any kind of um, computed assignment in them. So having the methods is helpful. Uh, Charemi Kunstuva, which I think had a contribution in Laravel 10.20 as well, you mentioned, contributed a nice developer mm-hmm. experience improvement to the pull method on the HTTP client which essentially gives you better auto-completion for responses on the pool. So you would get back a pool of multiple responses. You're now in editors that support it, of course, um, that can infer that if you have a return of multiple values, it'll be able to tell you, you know, for response at index zero, one through whatever, you'd get type completion for all of that kind of stuff. The screenshot in the notes, which you can all go and read, will make that clearer than what I have. Joe Dixon contributed two string helpers to replace or prune a value at the start or end of a string. These will only be replaced if the given value exists at the start or end of the string, respectively. So you can do string colon colon replace end, and then you just do slash public with slash private and pass it the full string to replace, and the same for replace start. So if it's not there, obviously it won't do anything, it won't throw any exceptions, etc. and if it is, it'll do the replacement for you. Tim McDonald contributed the ability to count the number of failed jobs using the failed jobs provider. For example, performing a count query on the database instead of retrieving all records and running count jobs, which is not ideal in many situations. So in essence, what this is doing is making the first-party queue drivers in Laravel countable. So they implement PHP's countable interface, which then adds a count method that returns an integer, and it will then be responsible for figuring out how to give you a optimized count of those things, so it'll it'll basically run the database um, query under the under the hood to do a count on that table, rather than selecting all of the data out and then counting the collection in memory, which you know could be hundreds, could be millions of records depending on how many failed jobs you have. So thanks to Tim, he's been on a bit of a performance optimization crusade of late doing lots of cool things there so thank you for that that is all for laravel 10.21 uh
1: the other thing that i thought was interesting to talk about on this one let me go back real quick sorry um the broadcast as. so when you so you're you have an event that's getting broadcast my only concern with this and i'm sure it's probably addressed in the pull request i mean whatever it's like that so, it's like that sort of thing like give people sharp knives you mm-hmm. know let them do what they want to do with it Um, the only thing that would be difficult for me is maybe finding that event, or I could see myself getting confused about that later on. If I have a specific event that's in my events and I'm, I, you know, by typically you use the class name as the event. Yeah. Right. And now you're, you're not, it's like a conditional name for the event, which just is a bit odd, but whatever. I mean, Hey,
0: I mean, you you might in the same way that polymorphic relationships, for example, you know, you, rather than mm-hmm. using the model that's a good model class path, you, you know, instead of app models user, you, ah, you just sure. put like... That's a, that's a really users, good example. Yeah. Right. So you might want to do the same kind of thing here instead of... Have, and it's particularly useful, especially if you're broadcasting somewhere outside of Laravel, for something else to deal with that doesn't really have the... You know, you might be, might be broadcasting to some Go service or something like that where you want to query the notification by some string definition rather than than some class class path
1: that's a great that is a great point yes nice nice work thank you
0: yeah okay 10.22
1: folks Laravel teams released 10.21.1 and 10.22 with ULID which is universally lexicographically sortable identifiers as opposed to UUIDs universally unique IDs the difference being there I think that the ULIDs are sortable by like creation time, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas UUIDs necessarily aren't. So with ULID testing helpers, precognition testing helpers, which if you don't know what precognition is, go watch Tim McDonald's talk on precognition. He's the man. It's awesome. As well as enum support in rule in and rule not in validation rules and more, which is pretty freaking awesome, by the way. All right. ULID testing helpers. Jason Jones contributed testing helpers for the generation of ULIDs to match testing helpers created for ULIDs.
0: For UUIDs. Mm. So we've got all of these methods basically exist for UUID where you can... Gotcha. Obviously, UUID is a randomly generated thing. So if you wanted to Check. make assertions yep. in your test that a UUID was there, you can use these helpers to, you know, always return a specific string so that you can make assertions Makes against... Sense. Sort of like, like freezing time. Yeah. Right. right, yeah. So, you know, if you are generating like a random UUID, you don't know what that's going to be ahead of time, but using the helpers, Absolutely. you can say like any time the framework calls string colon colon UUID, rather than reaching out to the Ramsey UUID package to generate that, I want you to always return ABC123. And that way you can make assertions in your test that the UUID is, in fact, ABC123. And so for the duration of the test, you know, it's always going to return that, and that allows you to kind of make sure that you are actually calling string UID where you think you are. And so you're getting that value back. But then it allows you to kind of freeze it. So it generates one and then it's always the same one. It allows you to, you know, roll that back and say, okay, go back to creating UIDs normally. Um, You can do it with sequences. So you could say like zero should be this, one should be a normal one, two should be this, three should be a normal one. So you kind of alternate and that kind of stuff. So it gives you that variability in your test to make sure, you know, you might know that, Within a an action pipeline, for example, you want to test the first and the and the third action, and that the UIDs are generated there, but you don't care too much about the second and the fourth one. So you can use these sequences. So what this this set of helpers that Jason has created is basically the Ulid equivalent of those UUID helpers.
1: Very nice. No, that that helps a lot. Thank you. I don't use UUIDs ever. Right now in our applications. Uh we're probably going to in the very near future. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's really helpful. I'm assuming you do. You have yeah. to or have and
0: yeah, I have. Yeah. I do. And uh we have used those UID helpers in the past. So um and now we're using ULIDs for a few things. Um, so it's it's good to have access to this kind of stuff. We have a test assertion like in, in our test suite that's just assert valid ULID. And all it does is make sure that Yes, a lid was generated and that it's valid, but we don't necessarily care what it is. We just want to ensure that it sure. was generated where it should be. So this will give us a little yep. bit more um, explicitness, explicity, <laughs> explicitness. Yeah, There's a word, I'll, surely. Yeah, there you All go. Right. Sure. Like, sure, just to make sure that, like, you know, we are then going in there and saying, like, yes, this is being called and this is what we expect it to return kind of thing. So that's that's helpful. Um, I will be upgrading nice. to this version of, here, of, of Laravel and, and making, the, making those te- test changes. Making the change,
1: yep. Okay, Peter Fox contributed testing helpers for Laravel precognition. So you can say now uh, this with precognition, and then you can call a route, get slash or whatever. And then you can say assert successful precognition. And so you can make tests uh, or you can write tests against Laravel precognition. I would assume that there's probably also... Uh, testing things like not necessarily just asserting that you got a good response, uh, but also asserting errors and things like that coming back from precognition as well. Mm -hmm. Tim Gassendorfer contributed enum support for the rule in and rule not in validation rules. This is really nice. I used to have to take these things and sort of um, do like an implode or do cases, right? So you'd you'd take an enum and you'd have to say, make sure that the value that's coming in for this request, rule in, and then you'd have to do sort of an array or you'd have to do like an implode with an enum cases, which would give mm-hmm. you the cases that were available for you, and then you'd implode them with a comma, and then you could pass those into the rule in or, or whatever you might do, right? Well, what this does is it just kind of takes care of that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a backed enum that has, you know, that's backed by a string or whatever, all you have to do now is just say rule in, uh, and then it says, uh, well, actually, Hmm, Hold on, hold on. Yeah, weird. I I actually would have assumed that it was just that it would just take the entire enum. Yeah, but it's looking like it's just. There is like
0: an enum rule.
1: I think you already maybe have that. I think that's already possible. Right now, we we already
0: have an enum rule where you could say like this has to be a valid enum. What this one specifically is doing is it's saying it's only one of this specific list of values right and previously yeah, have except to do for you like, don't have
1: to put value arrow right, value on the enum, right yep. you can just pass the case itself
0: you can pass the case and then and then under the hood the validation rule will figure out oh yeah this is a backed enum or this is a, a basic enum and we need to call either you know value or we need to call name on it to to, to kind of resolve what this value is so just you know the, the little yep. tidy up Convenience. Exactly. Yeah. Cause that does get really
1: annoying when you have to call value on everything. Yeah.
0: I always feel like weird <laughs> about really it. Really you know, anytime like I obviously yeah. you've got the enforcement that it can only be one of these things, but anytime I need to do a check, you know, is this the same as that? And mm-hmm. I'm and I'm kind of like asserting against serialization to an array, for example, and I want to say like exactly. you know, this is I don't want to put I don't want to hard code the string in there in case the enum ever changes. So, you know, you always right. find yourself doing like rule or uh, well, you always find yourself doing, you know, color colon colon blue arrow value to make sure that like all of that is consistent. So it like it, I know, I know it's fine. It just feels weird just from you know all of these years of PHP where we didn't have enums available to us.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just an adjustment. But this is this is a nice little convenience. Thank you, Tim. All right, that's it for ten dot twenty two, and that's all of the Laravel releases we have. But it's not all the releases. That we have. Michael, what's the next one?
0: Livewire V3. We have talked about it in February. We talked about it after Laracon US. And we're going to talk about it briefly again now. And that is that Livewire version 3 has been released. So this is the you know 3.0.0, not you know 3.0 beta or whatever else. So it's out. We're going to talk about the highlights very quickly because there's so much stuff and you can go and sort it out yourself. So first of all, the core has been rewritten. It is now using Alpine rather than its own version of you know everything so that it's a better developer sort of maintenance experience for Caleb and the Livewire team. It improves component testing, property serialization. It bundles requests now. So instead of sending one request for everything, it kind of bundles them all up and sends them together. It includes better defaults for blade marker injection. Wired model is deferred by default. And there's a whole host of new features, automatically injected assets on pages. So anywhere that you use a LiveWire component, LiveWire will automatically inject the LiveWire styles and scripts. So there's, you know, you don't even have to worry about that. There's a new default namespace. So everything now lives in app LiveWire instead of app HTTP LiveWire. There's reactive properties, form objects, um, wire navigate, which gives you SPA mode. There's at persist, lazy loaded components, a parent property, hybrid methods, and evaluating JavaScript from the back end, which is crazy. There's too much JavaScript as it is. PHP attribute usage throughout the framework. There's notes on how to upgrade. There's a new website design and domain. We've spoken about this before. You can now find the LiveWire docs and all the information on livewire.laravel.com. And we've spoken about why that's there and Inertia isn't in a previous episode. You can go and check that out if you want to know why Inertia is not on the Laravel.com domain. But that's it. I'm not going to say any more because there's too much to go through.
1: It's awesome. And, and Caleb talks about all of it in his, his Laracon talk. So... That's published. It's in the show notes. It's on Laravel News. It's on YouTube. So Caleb Porzio, LiveWire 3, US Laricon, Nashville, 2023. You can find it. It's it's a great talk. And he did an awesome job breaking it all down and getting us all excited for LiveWire. So he released the beta version from the stage. And immediately was like, wait a second, it's not working. It's broken. though deployed in like, <laughs> No, no, no. It worked. It's just a tag, not an actual release. So it <laughs> worked, but now it is actually tagged. It is version three. It is out. It is set to go. And along with that, we have Laravel Jetstream 4.0, which now has Livewire 3 support. So our fearless leader, Mr. Eric Barnes, went through the Jetstream upgrading process which is quite straightforward, but it does have a few steps outlined in the upgrade guide. So here is a quick brief overview. Of course, you're going to have to change your Composer.json to reference Jetstream version 4.0. Then you're going to run Composer update. Uh, next, Michael said this, but it, it ships with the Alpine and the Livewire styles uh, like out of the box, I think. you're. You, I think you don't even have to like include them or something like that. It's magic. Uh, but it's magic. But... In this case, you need to include the LiveWire styles and scripts in your application's guest.blade file because Alpine is used by guest components that are published by Jetstream. So that's like the one gotcha here. Uh, you have to publish those inside of your guest.blade.php file. And that's it. Like that's literally it. Update Composer JSON, update your Alpine scripts, uh, and then you are all set to go. So it should be pretty straightforward. Thank you, Mr. Barnes, for putting that one out there for us. I also included this other one just because it's kind of fun. The Laravel string word wrap one. Eric Barnes just put a string. So we talked about string word wrap last time we were on the show two weeks ago or whatever. And it was just sort of a little fun banter back and forth. And so Eric made a quick YouTube video talking about the word wrap function. And it was really funny. I actually very much enjoyed it. He had little pictures of Caleb and of Taylor mm-hmm. and uh, illustrated all of the things that we were saying on this show uh, with a little animation. So... I loved it. It was really fun. And so he put it on the uh blog and I thought I'd throw it in here. If you haven't seen it yet, you should go check it out. Uh it's really funny. It's like 30 seconds, maybe a minute. So yep, that's it. Perfect. Laricon EU 2024. Save the date, everyone. The flagship event uh for Laravel in Europe returns to returns to Amsterdam for twenty twenty four. They've been doing it for Amsterdam for a while, right? I don't think, I think they have. I don't I'm not sure that
0: it's ever been no, they they were in Lisbon last this year. And I think they
1: always, maybe, they, maybe they always
0: used to do it in Amsterdam. I'm pretty yeah, sure they did. I'm pretty sure that pretty all sure of them, did. except for this year's, have been in Amsterdam. I'm pretty sure that is the okay. case. This gotcha. year's gone. not this so, year's, next year's coming.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Gotcha. I
0: gotcha. So join us in
1: Amsterdam for two days of fantastic talks and community networking with the most talented Laravel developers in the world. Hey, come on. I take, I take issue with that. What if the U.S. people aren't? Yeah, you can't come on. What if the Australian people aren't there? I guess I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know, picking fights here. Hosted in the most beautiful. Um, why don't you know what that is? Gebau event Ooh. in the heart of Amsterdam. Good luck. We're gonna have to tweet that. Good luck pronouncing Music-able. that one. Figure up. There you go. All oh right boy, up. so many, so many hard words today. So you're ready to learn, connect, and come away refreshed, energized, and ready to build amazing things with Laravel. So it is February 5th and 6th uh, of 2024. You can join join the newsletter for announcements. As sponsorships are also available if you're interested in speaking. You can submit your talk idea, idea uh, at laracon.eu. Man, that would be fun. I wonder if I could, oh boy, I don't know. I would have to do that for my wife's birthday. Take her to, uh, take her to Amsterdam because her birthday is right around that time. That would nice. be fun. Be Maybe great I'll have to fun. come up with a talk.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that would be great fun. Do it. All right, my friend. Over to you. Those of you who don't know, Christoph Rumpel, Christoph Rumpel. Rumpel. It Rumpel. Is, there is there is a bit of back of the throat in his... I'm joking, Christoph. Christoph Rumpel's is. pest-driven Laravel course now has a permanent home on Laracast and is available to subscribers immediately. In this course, you'll learn to write applications that are fully fully tested and a joy to work with now and in the future through test-driven development. Tests are the base for writing code that is easy to change, refactor, and maintain, and there is no reason anymore to be afraid to touch your own code. Following test-driven development establishes the mindset that integrates testing and refactoring in your daily workflow. The course itself teaches you everything you need to know to be productive in writing your tests in PEST, PHP, and Laravel. The course has over six hours of content across 48 episodes, so... This was previously available as a paid course. It's now available to all Laracar subscribers um, for no additional cost. So you can check it out at pestdrivenlaravel.com.
1: Very nice. Well, folks, if you can believe it, that is the releases in the news. We're going to pick up the pace here a little bit. Packages and tutorials. Here we go. Mary UI is Laravel Blade Components for LiveWire 3. So this is a UI library that gives you gorgeous Laravel Blade Components made for LiveWire 3 and styled with DAISY UI and Tailwind. What is this DAISY UI, you might ask? DAISY UI is essentially a component library for Tailwind CSS. So it adds component class names to Tailwind CSS. Think like, you know how when you were doing Bootstrap back in the day and you would just say like uh, tab or button right. or panel, those sorts of things, right? That's what DAISY UI is, except for it's using Tailwind to do that. So the nice thing is you can use Tailwind to modify those values after the fact. So you can use these semantic class names, um, you know, out of the box with this, and then you can make your modifications using Tailwind. So Mary UI is built not on top of Tailwind, not on top of DAISY, but both, right? DAISY and Tailwind. And now you have Mary UI, which is, uh, you know, Blade Components for Livewire 3. All right. That being said. It includes a bunch of useful UI components out of the box, like form components, list items, tables, menus, modals, drawers, alerts, buttons, badges, headers, icons, stats, tabs, etc. Documentation is available with code examples and demos using all these components. So, example, for example, the drawer component makes it simple to create a slide-out drawer with some code, and they've got demos on their site, of course. Uh, so you can go check it out at mary-ui.com. Uh, This is a free package, so there is no purchase on this. So at the time of writing, Mary UI was still using the LiveWire 3 beta. But since LiveWire 3 was released, uh, imagine that it will be updating soon to the stable version. So you can check that out, mary-ui.com.
0: Next here, we have an introduction to Sharp for Laravel, which is an open source content management framework, starting with two facts. Number one, Content management is hard on both sides. It's difficult to build and to maintain an adapted tool as a developer, and it is often a pain to use as a content manager. The, I think the thing with content management systems is that there are so many varied skills of people that are using it. You know, it could be the, the receptionist, mm-hmm. or it that's could be, point, yeah. you know, the head of HR, or whatever else. It's hard to make something that's useful for everyone. Everyone's at different skill levels. WordPress has been around for 20 years, and, you know, as common as it is, people still have issues with it. So that's that's number one. Number two, the topic has been addressed many times. As the rule states, every time a developer faces a particular content management case, he builds a custom CMS. Fortunately, there are very good commercial products like Laravel Nova and Statomic and very good open source packages in the Laravel world, for example, Filament, and a galaxy of other options like headless CMSs and things like that. The first version of Sharp for Laravel was written before most of these tools existed in the early days of Laravel, mainly because... The author of this package, Philippe Longchamp, was frustrated by WordPress for many reasons. Sharp was messy back then, but after a few years and lots of work, with the help on the front-hand side of Antoine Gwingard, of, um, who helped out with the package, they managed to launch version 4 of Sharp in 2017, and they're up to now version 8. So I won't go into the whole meat and potatoes of this one, you can check it out, in terms of what it has on offer but content management system from a Laravel point of view so definitely check it out there's some interesting looking things here which look like it'll make it easy to build out something for a more user focused thing rather than a an admin or a developer focused tooling there you
1: have it all right folks last week we talked about hmm, what was it called I'm going to find it here there it is scramble we talked about generating API documentation for Laravel with Scramble. And what that did, I believe, is it looked at your different JSON responses that you had throughout your application. And I think it used those as well as some reflection uh, and things like that in order to write up some documentation for you. It also used Spotlight Elements to provide these interactive API docs. Uh, so all good. All fine and good, right? That's that's great. However. This week, if you happen to be a Saloon user, so Sam Carey uh, developed Saloon. Uh, if you happen to be using Saloon, this is a SDK generator package for Saloon. So Sam tweeted about this. and said, this is the first third-party Saloon package, and it's really awesome. So it allows you to generate full Saloon SDKs from an API's open API file or a Postman collection. So basically what you can do is you can – and actually, so I got this backwards – I was thinking that this was the other way I was thinking that it would take saloon and then would create API documentation for you. No, 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 not what it does. It actually takes a spec and then creates your saloon SDK generation. It generates your saloon SDK stuff in your Laravel app from that spec is what it sounds like, right? So it allows you to generate full saloon SDKs from an API's open API file or a postman collection. Um, And so this unlocks the potential to generate full clients that you can update quickly whenever the API spec changes. So this would be pretty cool if you had like a GitHub workflow in the API, like CI pipeline that would trigger an SDK repo to automatically tag new versions for release via Composer, right? You update your spec and it just says, oh, the spec updated. I'm going to go ahead and tag a new release. And there you go. Uh, No, no, no worries. Uh, It also has a bunch of customization options, of course, that you can use uh, for the generation of these, uh, of this code. So if you wanted to trigger an SDK build from PHP code, you can get started with the package using the provided SDK generator command. And this will generate code based on either a postman collection or an open API file. You can experiment with how it works by cloning down the repo and running one of the provided composer commands. For example, composer generate paddle will generate the paddle saloon SDK in the source repos test folder, which is pretty neat. Uh, In the the, uh, GitHub, read me. It does have some caveats, right? It says this tool helps you set up the foundation, but it might not create a complete ready to use solution, right? So important to note that uh, it gives you a good starting point to build the initial framework for your API interactions. It might not be perfect for every situation, but it's a a fast way to sort of scaffold your SDK structure. Mm -hmm. Um, You might need to, of course, customize it for specific cases, but this is going to certainly save you time uh, By eliminating the need to write like boiler cl- boilerplate code that you'd have to write from scratch, right? So you run the command, get it started, and it'll do a, a good job getting you a long way um, down the road towards implementing that SDK. So that's really, really cool. Congrats to the teams who've been working on that.
0: Awesome. All right. Boosting your eloquent models with Laravel Lift. This is a package that allows you to create public properties in your eloquent models that match your table schema, which makes your models easier to read and work with in any IDE. The package depends on eloquent events to work, which means the package fits easily into your project without needing any major changes unless you've turned off event triggering. So once you have installed Laravel lift out of the box, you can add the lift trait to your eloquent models and create public properties on them that makes them easier to understand and work with within your IDE. The magic happens when you start using the attributes that the package provides. So there is a db attribute that you can use to define the connection, table, and timestamps of your model. There is a relationships attribute. So instead of defining them using methods, you can define them as attributes instead. And all the relationship attributes accept the same parameters that the methods accept. So in a typical model, uh, Laravel model, you would have like a class called post and then a function, uh, sorry, a class called comment and then a function called post. And on your post model, you would have a function called comments and that has a has many and so on and so forth. I think we're familiar with that broadly speaking. When you're using Lift, you can define an attribute on the post class, for example. So attribute syntax is the pound symbol. And then square brackets, and then you would say like has many open parentheses comment colon colon class, and then the inverse of that on on your comment model attribute square bracket belongs to parentheses post colon colon class. So it kind of streamlines that a little bit for you, defines it all in the same way, and it handles all of the you know creation of those methods under the hood. There's property attributes, so rather than defining a cast array, you can define public properties on your model and then use the cast attribute to say that this is an integer, this is a string, this is a float, this is a boolean, et cetera. So it kind of gives you a little bit more type safety rather than having to rely on something like Laristan, which kind of infers things from your migrations, or something like IDE helper, which generates a helper file that PHPStorm, VS Code, et cetera, can read. So it puts this stuff front and center into the code or into the you know your eloquent models themselves, so you can get a lot more type safety, a lot more inference and a lot more functionality out of your IDE when working with these. So um, I'm, as we know, not the, the biggest of fans of attributes, but this this is showing some interesting use cases um, of, of kind of hoisting out these, you know, arrays of strings for fillable and casts and things like that and putting them into in these attributes where you can say, yeah, here is all of my properties defined as real public properties and then you can say this is fillable or it's not fillable or it's you know how it's cast and things like that so interesting interesting stuff sort of showing me attributes uh, the power of attributes in a way that i hadn't sort of considered previously
1: i mean they are crazy they are insanely Mm. powerful yeah because they're because they're like they're you know you could do anything you want like you can do methods and all sorts of crazy stuff right Mm. you have behavior that's embedded with these attributes it's not just something that is like I guess that's really what it is, right? The attribute has its own sort of class definition, and then you can do things with it. It's it's pretty wild. I think for me, the biggest benefit of this is the co-location of code, right? This is mm-hmm. this is exactly, you know, if you have those fillable properties, if you have default properties, if you have, um, you know, the casts, if you have, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, on and on it goes, right? How many times do you have to repeat the same string? you know, and how many different locations. So if you wanted to know everything there was to know about name, well, how many places do you have to go look to find that, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas with this, it just uses attributes, which again would take some time to get used to, um And it's not in the Laravel documentation, so it's going to be a learning curve. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it's all in one spot. It's fillable. It's being cast to a string. And here are the rules that are required if you're going to you know, have a request that includes this name. Mm. Well, there you go. I mean, that's pretty sweet. It's all right there, right yeah. on top of that public string name. And then the other thing that you have sometimes, too, is you'll have on a model, you'll have at the very top, like, oh, there's this doc block that says property, name, property, price, property, ID, so that you know that they are there. Mm. you know you kind of have you kind of update your doc box manually when you add a new column so that your ide can know that that exists and it's not complaining about it and this way you don't have to do that either it's just it's it's right there you Mm -hmm. can go look at it yeah again i think it does feel like it makes things a little bit messy ish i I mean it's messy and it's clean at the same time i guess
0: right um
1: it's it's just kind of what you're used to i suppose
0: yeah i think it it improves the developer experience to an extent i think it bloat is not the word but it's putting a lot of stuff into the controller that's there for reading which you know we've spoken about before that you read code way more than you write it and at the end of the day the computer is going to interpret it exactly the same right Mm -hmm. so i think the only thing really that i I, i'm not too sure about is putting validation inside of the model i think that's starting to mix a, a little bit too much um, it gives you like the consistency of validation everywhere, you know, but there mm. are there are situations where you may not want that validation. So it depends on how that's implemented when it comes time to, you know, actually running that validation and if that's, you know, happening all the time or not. So, yeah, very interesting package. Shout out to Wendell Adriel for putting that one together. Um, worth a look if, if attributes are your thing.
1: It absolutely is. I I think it's really interesting and it'll be interesting to see kind of where attributes go. This is sort of the, um, it feels like the conclusion of kind of where I think they can, they can shine. Right. I remember when they first were coming around, I was like, how in the world would you even use these? I think this is a really great use case, honestly. So anyway, there you have it. Lyft. Very, very cool. I like it a lot. Okay, next we have MJML to HTML using PHP. So let's really t- let's let's talk about what MJML f- is first. So also you should know that this is a package by Spossy. Uh so you know it's going to be good. But let's talk about MJML. MJML stands for Mailjet Markup Language. So Mailjet is a email uh transactional email service provider. And MJML is essentially them taking all the things that they've learned about HTML email design over the past however many years and abstracting all of that complexity into their own markup language. And so you get responsiveness out of the box. uh, And this abstraction guarantees that you'll always be up to date with the industry practices uh, with responsive emails because they're they're the ones handling what this is actually going to get transformed to. So MailJet. Markup language, that's what MJML is. So when you're writing it, you have an MJML tag, you have MJ-body, MJ section, MJ column, MJ image, divider text, and then they handle scaffolding all the HTML that would actually be used to make that responsive email. It actually reminds me of you might remember this. Do you remember back in the day? So like there was Bootstrap and then there was Foundation, right? Mm-hmm. Do you remember Foundation? So yeah, Foundation yeah. was by a company called Zurb. And mm-hmm. then they had this uh they had this thing called ink which was their, their take on this, right? Yeah. They had like responsive emails using ink and that's sort of defunct now. They just have foundation for emails is the name of it now. But that's sort of like what MJML seems like. That's, that's kind of where it lives. So with that out of the way and, and understanding sort of what MJML is, and by the way, they have really great documentation. What this does is it takes MJML and it is designed to, uh, to reduce the pain of writing. Uh, sorry, it's, it's this package will take MJML and it will allow you to convert that to just straight HTML using PHP. Uh, so these templates use semantic markup and are even responsive in clients like Outlook. Hmm. So the mas- most basic usage of the package's readme file uh, looks like this. You have use Spacy MJML and then they use a here doc to specify some MJML. And then it just says HTML equals, and then they use their MJML double colon new. So, Hey, here's, here's a new instance of this MJML object. And then you say arrow to HTML and you pass it that here doc string. And so what that does is it takes that MJML, converts it to HTML, which then, you know, I'm assuming you use for a email that you're going to be sending out to one of your one of your folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what this allows you to do is to use that markup language, that new Mailjet markup language within your emails to get those responsive emails automatically, right? So it doesn't have a PHP implementation to convert to HTML. Instead, what happens is the package uses the node version behind the scenes. Uh, but you can even use the MJML Sidecar package, which if you remember Sidecar, it was built by Aaron Francis. And what it does is it essentially allows, allows you to run a Lambda a uh, AWS Lambda function uh, with the cloud. Uh, so you can use MJML Sidecar package to compile that using uh, Sidecar up in the cloud. So you don't need to have Node available on your server. All the conversions to HTML are done in the AWS Lambda. So to get started with the package, you can familiarize yourself with the documentation for MJML itself and then the package for from Spasi. As well, So that's it. If you'd like to learn more background on the creation of the package, you can read read, uh, Freak's write-up on craft emails that look good in each email client using MJML. This is a huge thing if you're Mm -hmm. trying to market through email, right? Writing emails that look good is insanely difficult. Uh, It has been a problem for a very long time. And so having any help on that front is very much appreciated. And if it is part of your job to craft really nice looking emails, then you might want to give this one a look. Thank you, Paul, for writing that up.
0: All right. Last one, also from Paul Redmond. Running GitHub actions locally with ACT. If you've ever gone through the process of getting GitHub workflows up and running and you've done the whole make a change, push the change, wait and see if it works, Nectos slash ACT reads your GitHub workflows and determines actions that need to be run and uses Docker to pull or build the necessary images that are defined in your workflow and uses the Docker API to run containers for each action based on the images provided and the environment variables are set up to match GitHub. The CLI has installation instructions for various package managers and systems, but once you get it up and running, you can basically run act-l, which will list all the actions for the events. There's a workflow dispatch, a pull request, a test option, um, the ability to collect artifacts in a specific folder, and a dry run mode. Um, So this is exceptionally useful in those situations where you know, you're spinning up a, a new GitHub workflow or you're making changes or, you know, you want to test that thing without having to push and burn through your minutes in GitHub to do that. I've had some mixed success with it in the past in in terms of like some issues around the M1 builds or the ARM64 builds and things like that. But it's been a while since I've used it. So definitely check that out if, if that is something that you're doing. I was going to say, yeah. is this
1: something we've covered before? I feel like we've talked about this before. Maybe it was a different package last time. I'm not sure. I'm not
0: sure, but yeah, I've 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 certainly come across it before in my day to day. But whether we've talked about it or not, I don't recall. Uh, but very very useful. Um, I know that one of my colleagues was using this when we were sort of working through getting our uh, our workflows up on GitHub Actions after we moved from Bitbucket. So very useful thing.
1: Laravel API Toolkit supercharges your API development with standardized responses, dynamic pagination, and more. It supports the following features. Schema support, pagination helpers, API generator command, API filtering, actions, media helpers, and more using the API colon generate artisan command. You can generate all the key files that are needed, like your controllers, your requests, your resources, models, migrations, etc. This is really nice, right? If you wanted to generate an API... Uh, this is an awesome way to do it. If you run that above command, that API generate, uh, then you can pass in like, here's a customer. Here's what I want. I want a username with string. I want an age with integer that's nullable. I want a company ID that's got blah, 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 blah. It will create all of these things for you automatically out of the box, the model, the factory, the seed, or the controller, the resource, the tests, uh, the create request, the update request, form uh, requests, the filters, the migrations, the routes, all of that stuff. It will create it for you automatically. And so you can get started with this by looking at Laravel API Toolkit.com. Really, really cool package there. Thank you, Paul Redmond, for writing that one up. Um, I was going to just mention real quick on the tutorial side of things yes, first or create, create or first is in there. Mm-hmm. So, like, when should I use which one? We talked about this at the very top of the show. When should I use which? Uh, we have a tutorial that talks about that written by our free list leader, Mr. Eric Barnes. So, there you Beautiful. have that? Okay, perfect. Go ahead, go ahead, my friend.
0: All right, the other three tutorials that you have this week. First up, using AWS S3 for Laravel storage. This is a video and written tutorial presented by Shane Rosenthal. Check that out. We have using language servers in Sublime Text. So if you've used VS Code, you've used language server protocol, which is a creation of uh, the team at Microsoft behind the VS Code editor. And this is talking about using that now open source, transportable. It works in NeoVim and whoever, who knows where else it supports things like documentation on hover, auto-completion, unused symbols, highlighting, composer, um, it supports views LSP. So you've got view support as well. Pretty easy to get up and running. Paul has put together some notes on doing that for you. And the last one is installing Xdebug with Laravel Herd, which has been put together by our fearless leader, Eric Barnes. This was like one of the quote omissions of Laravel Herd, uh, but it is it's, it's possible to set these things up so long as you have otherwise compiled the binaries uh, or the extensions themselves. Um, and then you can sort of wire them up into Herd. So, yeah, that's that. What a, what a, Horribly, horribly long show. We apologize, apologize to everyone that's going to have to listen to an it hour of that. Terribly long. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what happened. We just had a lot of stuff to talk about. A lot so. of stuff. Can we? Can we blame? Can we blame Aaron? Aaron Francis for this? Telling everyone to publish their work. Okay. He didn't think yep. about the people that have to talk about all the amazing work that goes Correct. out into the community as a result. It's true. <laughs> it's true.
1: I I agree. We had a lot of first time authors in this episode. So. And I blame me too for saying in my talk, like, "Hey, if you have something you're passionate about, talk to us at Laravel News. We'd love to feature your article." Yeah, I blame me too. (laughs) So thanks everybody who submitted, and sorry to Michael who had to take an extra long break today to get this one in today. Uh, Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Episode one hundred and ninety nine. Find show notes for it at uh, Laravel News. Sorry, podcast. Laravel News. Com one hundred and ninety nine. Rate us up on your podcast for choice. Five stars would be amazing. Hit us up at Jacob and at Michael Dritter, or at Laravel News on the Twitters, or the X, as the kids are calling it nowadays. And until next time, we will see you. Bye, bye.
0: -bye.